This is Poetic Metal. Hey, what's up, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to Poetic Metal. And this week, I'm rejoined by Sean Rooney. We're back, and we are here to talk about Stone Temple Pilots, their new vocalist, Jeff Gutt, and their new single, The Meadow. But we also break down the all-time classic, Core. Track by track, we give our insights into what that album meant to us personally and overall in the music landscape 25 years later and how it resonated with audiences and listeners back in the early 90s in 1992 and beyond. So yeah, man, how's everything going? You know, everything's good? Good. Things cool. are good. I, you know, I've seen some shows recently. Um, I saw Karak Engren and Children of Odom uh, last week, and I was really fucking excited to go to that because, like, I, I've been telling you, um, I've been messaging the keyboard player, his name's Ardek, Ardek Wigers from Karak Engren, and uh, we've been in communication you know not you know every day or anything like that but uh leading up to this ever since i wrote that article on karak engren this guy's been you know pretty easy to get a hold of which is kind of rare in this environment so that was exciting and the band was amazing and children of Bodom was amazing too it was their 20th anniversary tour sick show i i think something unique about metal is it incorporates other instruments, right? I mean, you got keyboards, but really, like, what these synthesizers, like in Children of Bodom and Crack Engren and even, like, in Flames, like, what these synthesizers allow them to do is, like, they're really creating, a, a like, a metal orchestra, you know? So it's, it's, it's fucking wild to see it live, you know? It's like a heavy metal symphony. Exactly. You know? But on the topic of like live music and concerts, let's uh, let's get the ball rolling again. Are you excited to resurrect poetic metal? I, not only am I excited, I'm I'm ready, and I feel like everything happens for a reason, and this is the perfect fucking time to kickstart this podcast again, for sure. Could not agree anymore, and. I think one of the big reasons you and I were feeling inspired to get the podcast going again was Stone Temple Pilots and the fact that they just got back together and announced their new vocalist. Guy's name is Jeff Gutt from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, He's best known for being a finalist on The X Factor. And talk about somebody who embodies Scott Weiland. I mean, he even has like that baritone enunciation confidence and even like he sort of looks like Scott Weiland he just it looks like he fits with the guys you know not only like Scott Weiland but also like Chester Bennington he kind of fits that mold he's from the same era as Chester yeah he he does oddly enough look like kind of a combination of the two of them (laughs) it's weird but um uh, do you want to you know start off with your first impression of of hearing the recordings with him yeah so like the metal right when that song premiered and i'm trying to like get my timeline right but i'll talk about when i first like heard him 
because I was up late at night when they were about to announce, like not announce, but when they were going to play their pretty much their first show with him. I stayed up hoping to maybe catch a live stream, maybe hear something on YouTube. And that night, somebody uploaded down with Jeff on vocals, and I my jaw hit the floor. I could not believe. Like, if you take away, like, Eddie Trunk hosted the event. Stone Temple Pilots with a new vocalist, and it was a big deal. And if Eddie Trunk hadn't introduced the band and said, now playing Stone Temple Pilots, like, you take that away, it sounded like the studio version of Down. Like, if the band was in the studio in 1999 uh, and they took the masters and re-released them, that's, I mean, like, Jeff, it blew me away. I don't want to sound redundant or, like, repetitive, but... I felt like I was listening to Scott in an eerie way, but it was spot on. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, what I'll say is that, you know, the parts of his voice that are not Scott Weiland are kind of fascinating. Um, and, and But the majority of his voice is very Weiland-like. It's, it's crazy. And it's like, you know, I, I almost, uh, I'll probably get uh, dinged for saying this, but the, the parts of his voice where he kind of goes into new territory is is exciting, but it also, it, it, it almost seems like a very Maynard, Maynard type, Maynard James Keenan, like Perfect Circle type stuff, where he does these kind of whispery pieces, um, which, is, which is interesting, that would be new territory for STP. But the majority of his voice is, is so Wyland-esque that it's eerie. And, of course, we have to give this guy credit on his own. I mean, Jeff Gutt, he's, he's a singer, and, you know, let's, let's hope that he can have the whatever creative control that uh, he's allowed to have in, in, this, in this band um, and all respect to him. Uh, but, you know, as an STP fan, you've got to have that Wyland-esque piece of it and it's it's there and it's not only there it's just it, I had the same eerie feeling my jaw hit the floor it's not an overstatement to say that for sure because I completely agree with you I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing I think that was the perfect song to like kickstart the live show considering how heavy that song is and that don't 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 please to meet you I mean there was such like a elegance and sincerity that like he captured that like Scott embodied throughout his career, you know? Exactly. Like I think the next day they released the Meadow, which you know when I heard it, it reminded me of like Big Bang Baby. You know, it sounded like it was off Tiny Music, which was pretty cool. I definitely enjoyed that kind of like riff rock, nineteen sixties throwback surfer rock groovy approach that the band kind of instilled throughout the track and you know it, it took a few lessons for me to like warm up to it but once you know after a good like four or five lessons I really grew to like enjoy the track and you know riding with the meadow I thought that was like a cool addition to the yeah. STP lore and you know the more the more I listen the more I accept and kind of embrace absolutely and yeah, I, I see what you mean. The the vibe is a little different. Um, you know, maybe that's what we need. And it's just, to me, it's, it's just invigorating to see or, or to hear, um, 
you know, these, these familiar sounds, but then something different that might push us into new territory. I mean, we could possibly, I mean, I don't want to get too big on this, but we could possibly be talking about a revival in a similar fashion to Alice in Chains, you know, which, which would be, which would be incredible, but we'll have to wait and see. I hope so. I will say, like, I enjoyed the EP they put out with Chester about four years ago, and you replaced Scott once, and then you replaced him with Chester, and you went from, like, one A-list vocalist to another. You know, two different voices of two different generations. And unfortunately, like, as we speak, like, both are no longer with us, and, I mean, it just puts that much more added pressure, in a way, not from you or I, but from probably, like, the public, the music-listening public and whatnot. And I have to give Jeff himself, like, credit. You know, at the end of the day, chemistry is chemistry. So if it flows and if it feels right, then I'm sure he's not overly concerned with, like, the public reaction or public reception. As long as the band is clicking, I would say, like, they have, you know, they've been around for a long time, like, 25 years at this point, And, you know, I'm anxious to hear them, you know, write a new record with just freedom and, like, stability agreed and you know another point that I, I don't know maybe I'm only bringing up because it's the tail end of 2017 and I feel a little old is, is that uh, STP like if, if you look at Stone Temple Pilots it's, it's a rock band you know and there there's not um, I mean of course a lot of their stuff material tinges on you know the heavier side of things and metal obviously but there's not a lot of rock bands around, man. Uh, and, um, you know, th- th- there's not even a market for it. It's, uh, I'm excited because I, I can't wait to hear this type of music, you know, come to the forefront, even if, even if it's in our, our circle, you know. And the, the metal community, it's always, oh, what's the heaviest, what's the biggest, what's, you know, what's the craziest. But if we look back, I mean, STP is, is our form of, of, of rock stars for the 90s, you know? So uh, it's excited to be talking about this music again. And you want to just jump off your last point about, like, the rock revival. I do feel it in my bones that it's coming back because right now you have bands like Greta Van Fleet, The Pretty Reckless, Crowbot. I saw this one band open up for Zach Wilde back in, like... I want to say October, they were called Them Evils. And there's a lot of like, there's sort of like a classic rock revival. And I think along those lines, there will also be a grunge revival. And, you know, I think it's going to take kind of a army of anyone. <laughs> yeah, I, I use that pun intended, you know, because of uh, Rob and Dean. They're, uh, they're banding between SDP and what they're doing now. But, um, more so an army of everyone, you know, the classic acts, the new acts. I think, you know, if you have a happy and healthy STP, you have a happy and healthy young rock scene, you have Alice in Chains coming out with a new record, you have different bands like Metallica, like clicking and firing on all ends, then you know what? It creates, you know, publicity, it creates synergy, and it'll attract, you know, young listeners. If anything, when you listen to The Meadow, or you listen to like old STP, or you listen to any of the new rock bands, Especially because we're moving, everything's so digital, everything's so, you know, image-driven and whatnot. It's just nice to hear music that sounds human. And that's one of the things that always attracted me to, like, STP was just how, like, 
not so much downtrodden, but like how open, how everything from love to depression to optimism to you know anxiety, like all these different emotions were like embodied, and all these different subjects were touched in their in their music, and I think that's what makes core, you know, what we're about to talk about such a timeless classic. Oh, definitely, definitely. So on the topic of core, man. As of September 29th of this year, that record turned 25 years old. And Core is most famous for having Plush, Cracker Man, Wicked Garden, and Creep. And I, it's hard to believe, man. Like, it's honestly, like... Uh, every track could be a single, right? On this, on this record. Every single song is honestly, like, a radio hit. Practically. Oh, my God. 25 years. That's insane. It's insane. Um, I, this album is so important to me. I, you know, um, like if you, if you were to name Dirt as your favorite record, um, from this type of era, then Core would be mine, you know? Um, I, I, I can't, I can't wait to get into it, actually. I don't even know where you want to start, but. You know what? I say, let's just talk about how you and I, like, discovered Core. And, you know, I guess I'll go back to, I've spoken about this on podcasts, I've spoken about this on, in my own, like, stories and whatnot, but, like, as much as I loved all the bands from, like, the early 2000s, System of a Down, Incubus, Korn, Linkin Park, all those bands made me who I am, it was really around, like, 2002, 2003, when I went back and rediscovered a lot of the grunge bands. So Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and on the other side, Stone Temple Pilots. And, you know, honestly, I did my homework. And when I fell in love with Nirvana and Audio Slave, I wanted to discover, you know, Soundgarden, Rage Against the Machine, all the bands I mentioned beforehand. So, you know, I would ask my aunt, I would ask my dad, I would ask my cousin Ryan, all, like, people who grew up in that era, my aunt was involved in music, my dad was involved in music, like, what, what it was like during the early 90s, like, the grunge movement, the Seattle movement, the alternative movement, and, you know what's funny, like, my dad had really good things to say about Stone Temple Pilots, but, like, my cousin Ryan, who's about 38 now, he told me he, like, he loved Mud Honey and Me Puppets, and Pearl Jam, and Temple of the Dog, but he hated bands like Stone Temple Pilots and Weezer, and I was like, huh? I was like, why? You know, and he was like, some couple pilots, they ripped off Pearl Jam. I'm like, well, a lot of bands ripped off Pearl Jam. Like, till this very, like, at that time, you know, bands like Creed were still popular, and I don't want to go down that route, but right. in, in a way, him saying, like, I loved Weezer at the time. You know, they had that song Keep Fishing at the time, and I was like, really? You hate a band that had the Muppets and a music video? Like, they, they're they so enjoyable and so much fun. Like, I, I was so like, wow, Weezer, I wasn't expecting to hear. But I was like, you know what? I kind of, like, now I'm curious to, like, what I'm going to, like, hear. And this was before Velvet Revolver. Like, this was about, like, a year before, like, yeah. Scott joined Velvet Revolver. And I remember actually seeing commercials for Thank You, the greatest hits record. Advertised on MTV and MTV2 and Fuse. I remember that. And I was like, you know what? I didn't buy the Greatest Hits record, but I I looked up, you know, a few songs of theirs on a website called Launch. Like, Yahoo had, like, a music video streaming service. Oh, yeah. 
and I looked up plush, and I looked up sex type thing, and I looked up Cracker Man, and I was like, what is this? You know, I was like, yo, this is sick. Like, I plush just hit me. It was such a, you know, the chord progression, the vocal delivery, how hard the drums hit. It was everything I was looking for. During a time where I fell in love with Nevermind, Audio Slave's first record, Alice in Chains' Dirt, Soundgarden Super Unknown. I know that they sort of had that reception at the time that they were sort of an Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam ripoff, but you know what? Like, it's different when you're not in that era and you look back at it with perspective because, you know, they were doing their own thing. There was definitely hints of those bands, but I really felt like they created their own sound. And Core was one of those records just front to back that just taught me so much about songwriting and emotional expression. And even, like, the fundamentals of, like, chord progressions and playing guitar chords. Like, I learned a lot of STP songs as I would, like, go on to play the guitar. Like, it was a goal of mine to play the guitar chords for Plush. And, you know, so, like, late 2003, I remember just listening to that record on my Walkman, on the bus, going to school, on the way coming home from school. And it's one of those records that just instilled intuition and furthered my love for the music that came out at that time yeah definitely um it's so cool how you how you got into it around that time because you're kind of missing like three generations of grunge post-grunge and and you know metal it's it's awesome um my experience is like i i would say that because of our age differences like maybe you're probably two generations removed from from grunge, you know, the whole uh, Soundgarden thing, and I'm probably one, you know, removed from it. So, like, where STP to your cousin was, like, you know, a ripoff of what, you know, so-called of Alice in Chains and, and, and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam, to me, it was it was my version of, of <laughs> Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and, and Pearl Jam. It was, it was my era. Um, so they came in at my point in life where I needed them when I was 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. And, um, I have a a lot of stories about it, but I, uh, one thing is my introduction to core is that, uh, you know, my, uh, I lived with my father in in an apartment in Roxland County, New York, and it was a small ass apartment. And it was cool. It was just me and my dad. But then he got a girlfriend, and she had, like, a huge music collection. And while I didn't really favor her too much, she, she had, uh, like, for example, you know, she had Core. She also had uh, uh, the first Godsmack record, you know, all that. So this is 1998. So 98, I really got introduced to the you know, so-called post-grunge era, um, which core, you know, arguably was a part of, even though people would say it's really grunge. And um, the record was so impressive to me because of the isolating qualities of it. Um, you, you mentioned the word downtrodden before, and I think that that's, that's perfect. Uh, but also, you know, when you're a teenager, that angst kind of, filters through a, a voice that's just universally recognized and I, I Scott was one of those voices and it, it just 
you know, the dynamics within his voice, the way he could sound sometimes nasally at times and, and very, you know, aggro type grunge like, and then other times, you know, sounded like he was uh, trying to make the best out of a, out of a pop song. And, and those two dynamics really defined STP for me, the way that they kind of condensed and to some extent polished uh, the scene uh, on core was was so impressive to me so that that was my first experience i guess i must have been uh about 15 years old by the, by the time i finally heard uh, core yeah we were pretty much around the same age gap just different years yeah. like i was 13 going on 14 you were 14 going on 15 yep and whatnot and i remember buying the cd and i remember when i first put that into my walkman and just to start off with, like, Dead and Bloated, I think, in my opinion, it's the greatest, like, vocal intro, at least in modern rock or hard rock. You could say it was, like, the 90s generation of, like, Led Zeppelin with Robert Plant going, Hey, Mama said the way you move! Like, Scott coming in on Dead and Bloated, he was so confident. That was one thing with Scott. Like, a lot of the vocalists at the time and what made you and I and so many people just warm up and like look up to vocalists like Chris Cornell, Eddie Vedder and Kirk Cobain was that they were able to take like the darkest innocence and like pour their hearts into their lyrics and put it out there on a plate for us to like digest and manifest and absorb. Whereas like with Scott as like intimate and as like innocent as he could be when he was confident, like he had this like machoism and bravado. And when he was on, I mean, he he felt like he was on top of the world and, I say that not in a bad way, like in the best way possible, you know, like when he comes in on dead and bloated and he just goes, ah, you know, smelling like a rose that somebody gave me. Like there is no, like, there's no doubt in my mind. Like I, I read up like, you know, you and I, we did some of our homework and whatnot. And Eric, the drummer of STP talked about like how Scott sang dead and bloated, recorded dead and bloated facing Eric and Scott and like Eric was beating the shit out of the drums and pretty much, you know, that's that's why you get such a like a adrenaline infused performance from Scott, especially on that track. And with Rob and Dean, just the the introduction to the DeLeo brothers and that just slidey, like grimy, groove ridden, like do no no the way those notes echo and reverberate. Man, like that to me, out of any song in STP's catalog. If I had to pick one song to really embody who they are and who they become, who they would become, it's Dead and Bloated, without a doubt. The definitive STP track. I'm so glad, I agree with you, I'm so glad that you mentioned uh, Led Zeppelin. I think, I've read a little bit on, uh, you know, what what Scott and, and, and the guys were trying to do with this record, and I think they were really trying to invigorate that, that 70s era spirit of, you know, having a thematic record be emotional, be, uh, send a message, be, you know, um, invigorating in, and, and be more than one thing. And I, and I think core is more than one thing, but I think if I was to pick an overall theme, I think it's confusion, which, which is okay. And, and which is probably my connection to core is, you know, and dead and bloated is that, you know, 
it's confusing, but it's okay to be confused. And I and I feel like that was that was the message I think of, of this record. And um, definitely, it, it is it is comparable to to Zeppelin when he comes in on Dead and Bloated. You know, no one in the world is going to talk over Scott when he's when he's doing that intro to Dead and Bloated. Everyone shuts the fuck up and listens. And that's the importance. Uh, that's the presence that he brought uh, to the world. He sang that opening verse into Dean's guitar pickups. So that's how he got that sound. Oh, the, oh that, that distorted uh, scream-like quality when he's, when he's... That's amazing. You know, it's like somebody turned the gain up on his voice, so it makes sense that he's, that he's uh, singing into the guitar pickup pretty innovative some of the best guitar tones of all time between like the headstocks and the amplifiers and you know the way it's very grimy and and there's so much meat to it it's incredible that's what makes stp so special and stand out in that scene and they weren't a part of the grunge scene just in general the early 90s whether you know you had so many different bands from different cities like you know you had smashing pumpkins in chicago you had stone temple pilots from cali yada yada but it had that pop sensibility, but it also had like the grit that maybe like Metallica's The Black Album had. Like the sad but true kind of punch you in the face guitar tone, yet yeah. almost like a Guns N' Roses like soothing melody. Right. Ironically, I mentioned Guns N' Roses that would foreshadow a blossoming relationship down the road, but different story. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, one thing you mentioned that you can definitely pick up on throughout chorus. It's paced so well, like front to back. It really does play out like a classic Led Zeppelin record, a classic Aerosmith record. You know, you'll have like a heavy track. You'll have like a up-tempo, like catchy track. You'll have a ballad. You'll have like a, you know, some sort of like trippy intro. And then you'll have another powerhouse track. Like that's one of my favorite aspects of core and, that's one thing that's been missing in rock for a long time is just the ability to like theme out and space out a record. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. That kind of leads me into the next track, actually, which is a uh, sex type thing. Um, to me, the, the appeal was that the song is, is dangerous. Um, it's dirty, it's grungy. Um, but when you get to the chorus, that's where Scott kind of does that chameleon type thing with his voice and he he relates to that pop sensibility within such a such a heavy tone such a grimy scene that he pulls the the pop out of it which is kind of fucking crazy to think of the versatility of of a vocalist to be able to do that and to me it's like it's like it's like to me being 15 stp had two vocalists (laughs) but they had one and and that was Scott Weiland, obviously, and and just his ability to to transfer uh, to to belay his emotions uh, aggressively, uh, and then do it with a you know in a polished fashion, were were always amazing to me and outstanding how he could switch between the two and sex type thing does that for me because it's it's such a dangerous type song and I love it. Scott embodied like the best 
characteristics of Jim Morrison, Robert Plant, Steven Tyler, and maybe maybe Axl Rose. You know, I don't think he was as big of an influence as like Mick Jagger or Jim Morrison was on Scott, but he really like molded and submerged all of the best qualities of Axel and of Robert and of Jim. And while yes, there is like that you're like that, like that you all that's like synonymous with Lane Staley and Eddie. It really felt like its own thing again, like bravado. That's a word I'll use throughout this review is just, you know, like I ain't, I ain't, I'm buying into your apathy again. Like you feel like his chest is like kind of like pumped up and, there's nobody that can outdo him. And if anything about Scott, I feel like his range sometimes gets overlooked. That, like, yeah, he had a very, like, deep baritone voice, but in sex type thing, once he kicks into that, I oh, know, you mentioned, like, two vocalists, but, like, he could go from the lows to highs within, like, you know, within a measure, within, like, a few measures, within a transition. That's exactly what I mean. To me, it was, like, two different people, but maybe that's that's part of the thematic uh, message you know I, I really do think that this album deals with confusion and um, temptation sex um, depression and, and confusion and I I think that he reflected that thematically even through his voice you know it's interesting too like the way the drums hit Eric Kretz the drummer believe it or not dude I think even to bring it back to when I got into this record, like, I loved the Black Album. I loved Nevermind. Those were, like, religious to me. Those right. two records shaped who I am. That, uh, Eric used the same snare on Sex Type Thing, Dead and Bloated, and Piece of Pie that Lars used on the Black Album and that Dave Grohl used on Smells Like Teen Spirit. Wow. And that blows my mind, and, again... This is all, like, the early 90s and whatnot, and these are, like, songs that define that era. And it's always cool when you kind of, like, when different magazines, when different writers, even, like, myself, if I'm interviewing a band and it's, like, you're trying to, like, find out what kind of mindset they were in, what kind of instruments they were using, how something like that, like a snare drum, could, the fact that it's all coming from the same snare. Yeah, that's, there's, there's some kind of magic in that snare, right? I mean, that's, wow. And, and, and STP, if you kind of combined, <laughs> never mind, with uh, the Black Album, you, you might get something like Core. <laughs> it's it's a perfect equation, you know? A square, B square, C square, you know? <laughs> exactly. But uh, I, just to give credit to Rob and Dean, again, just that That was one of the first riffs where I felt, like, in terms of, like, my progression... As a guitarist, I would say I learned that riff within a year of playing. That was one of those riffs that definitely gave me like the confidence that like, hey, like I could play this kind of music. I could play music in this realm through practice and through like hard work. Like when I got to that point where I could do that intro riff, that and even just the way like the the way those power chords hit, like Dean DeLeo. Out of the Guitar World magazine from, like, 2005, I want to say it was, like, the 20th anniversary or the 25th anniversary issue. It had to be, like, the end of 2004 or the beginning of 2005. And you have guys like Jimmy Page, you have Zach Wilde, 
you have Slash, and you also have Dean on there. And I remember showing my friend, like, yo, check out, like, this cover I brought it to school. It might have, I forget who it was, but they're like, who's yeah. that guy with, like, the black hair and, you know, the 70s looking, like, fashion attire. And I'm like, yo, that's Dean DeLeo, man. <laughs> like, he's from Stone Temple Pilots. And he's like, who are they? I'm like, you know, and I feel, I did, like, an impression of Plush. And uh, he's like, oh, all right. I'm like, come on, man. Like, Dean deserves to, he's not often, like, reference that echelon but he is up there dean in my opinion is one of the standout guitarists of that decade and beyond oh for sure and even rob just to not to like harper on this but like rob's bass playing especially on sex type thing the way like the bass just like reverberates and just echoes and hammers at you he he's a principal songwriter in that band yeah the, the bass on this record is definitely worth mentioning it's very audible um and it's how do I say it's um, it, it, it plays in contrast to the uh, the guitar tone and, and, and even the drums it plays in contrast and what I mean by that is that it's it's like it's like counteractive instead of uh, which, which you don't find a lot you know you find a lot of bassists want to like just you know hide behind the mix and just um, you know sink in with the with the kick drum but that's not the case and it's it's very audible and it makes for I'd probably add some of those uh, pop sensibilities to this brand of, of music that, that we that we were talking about with Scott's voice your Wicked Garden I would say when talking about core a record stacked with so many hits I do want to say that Wicked Garden to me will always be the standout single do you know what I mean? I agree. Um, it's it's a head of a fucking song, and it's funny. Like you're three songs in, and this album is an instant classic. Uh, Wicked Garden solidifies that fact, and and it may stand above the rest in terms of uh, a standout track from the whole record. I agree with you. Just the. Again, because we've been talking a lot about like guitar tone and whatnot, but that like you have like slide guitar, like blues guitar leads, on top of like a metallic riff delivery. Yeah, yeah. When you you know, I want to run through your wicked garden. Uh, that that effect in the background, like that whole thing is this guy's kind of like a psychedelic uh, brand of metal, fucking amazing and it's so creative like nobody does that before or since so those those lines that are played over top uh, of the riffs are, are are genius it is like slide but and again back to 70s back to like a Jimmy Page uh, Led Zeppelin influence and I would say maybe the you know the pre-chorus in tends to sometimes not in this song but like you know, and a lot of classic rock songs, and not like classic rock as a genre, like classic, like legendary, you know, iconic yeah. rock songs. You know, usually like the chorus is what you'll think, burn, 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 but the pre-chorus that leads up, like, can you see just like a child? One right. of my favorite Scott Weiland moments ever. Without that, I don't think the track is as like, it climaxes with the pre-chorus, you know, like, like the chorus as great 
as much as I love the chorus, man, just, you know, are you scared of life? Like, that is so cool. <laughs> like, it's one of those things that you hear and you're like, man, like, you could sort of, like, picture yourself. You want to, like, be Scott in that moment. You want to be in front of, like, a crowd, a packed club, and you want to be the front man, and you want to be, like, singing that to the crowd, you know? Yeah, the track is so accessible, and, um, but the heaviness of that riff just can't mention it enough uh, of Wicked Garden. It's it's fun to play. It's amazing to hear, uh, and it's it's an instant classic by the third track on the record. And then, you know, a song like Sin. Again, talk about pacing on the record. You have a lot of like instant like classics. You know, songs that are either up tempo or heavy or both. And Sin really kind of like just slows it down. It's a ballad, but I would say maybe uh, some of like Scott's best vocals on the album happen in the song. Down you go, sir. The dirt, like when he sings that, down you go. Just the the shout. The shout is what draws you in. The top of the eerie chords and whatnot. Like a very eerie minor chord that like Dean and Rob play. Scott just like uplifts it to a different level. Yes, it it is eerie and. Um, kind of what you're talking about with the vocals, it go, kind of goes back to what I was saying about two vocalists, but this time it's like Scott's harmonizing with himself. Um, and I, I love that about this song. Um, and I, I also like to kind of make a correlation to, to Alice in Chains here. It, it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, of, of, of Lane and, kind of just reminds me of the harmonizing that goes on in that band um obviously there being one vocalist in sdp it's kind of hard to do but at least in the recording it's there there's some harmonizing effort going on in that and i think it's it's so creative and it just builds up into naked sunday you go from like again like an eerie powerful ballad to like a song you think of like the early 90s and you think in the realm of like jane's addiction you think of Smashing Pumpkins, and then like this song with like STP, that just that the way uh, Dean, the chord pattern, you know, that that's kind of like a lost R form, is like the looseness in like his uh, you know, his right hand, in terms of uh, the strumming, and just that with like Scott going the I whoa ah yeah, like it's such. How how does he not sound like the coolest vocalist of you know his generation, with the yeah, way he, like he screams like, that intro? I'd also like to point out that Naked Sunday really that's the chorus like the ah uh, whoa like that's there, there's no chorus so that's awesome like, <laughs> that's basically it and and to me it has like this punk delivery which is amazing and it it, it kind of reminds me of like a Living Color type vibe um, and I and I think the drums are are genius on that track too and they're, they're pretty invigorating and it's it's such an exciting song and i'm glad that you mentioned it like i think you mentioned it earlier today or a couple of days ago no a couple of days ago you were listening to naked sunday um, i listened to the whole record today myself again um which is not uncommon for me anyway i listen to this record <laughs> every couple months but um i it back to your point about the transitions in this album they're very varied and 
the points at which he hits, you know, uh, those minor chords are are important, and I and it's it's so well planned out. And I think that in you know grunge in the grunge era, everybody kind of thinks that everything's just lapped together and it doesn't really matter and the whole never mind attitude. But that's not the case here. And this is there's real genius in the in the track list of these songs. Think like think like Hetfield and Ulrich, Ulrich trying to plan out a Metallica album. I feel like that's the level of detail that was put into uh, the track list for Core. I wholeheartedly agree. And one thing that's cool about Naked Sunday before we uh, move on is that like that song does like tackle like religious hypocrisy and like social injustice. And believe it or not, there's a Rolling Stone article where like Rob, Eric, and Dean like break down Core track by track. And Scott was like heavily influenced by NWA recording that track. And, you know, even Body Count. Yeah, like Body Count and NWA. So you never know where, like, what someone, like a musician, like where their influences come from. Again, those are, those are two pretty like significant influences. And you don't necessarily hear that in the musical delivery, but. It is, you could see the parallels, you know, when you read the lyrics and, like, you kind of see where Scott was coming from and whatnot, and I thought that was pretty, uh, you know, powerful, and it gave me a new, like, respect and, you know, perspective in that song, and it's one of my favorite, like, Real Talk, it's one of my favorite SCP tracks, just because of, like, how powerful that intro is and how it maintains that, like, tenacity and ferocity, you know, throughout, like, all of, like, four minutes. Real quick, like, side note, I used to have a radio show in college, and almost... 10 years ago, like from 2008 until like 2011, I would host like a radio show every week at my school station. And this was one of those songs that like Naked Sunday that I kicked off my show with pretty frequently just because I felt like it set the right tone and the right vibe that I wanted to like capture for like what was a two hour show every week. That's awesome. And just, it's something that like amplifies the adrenaline and just uh, the creativity anytime I listen back to it. No doubt. Yeah, it's it's special to me too, for sure. And then creep, what cannot be said about creep? Um, well, I have a story about creep. Uh, I don't remember the first time I heard it. Um, probably, you know, when I when I first picked up the record or, or whatever, it was my stepmother's uh, CD, and I listened to it, you know, end to end religiously the whole record. Um, and creep obviously had an impact on me. But uh, my story goes back to boot camp when I was in the Marine Corps. And I was 18 years old, and, you know, I wasn't ready for college. Uh, I, I knew that going in. And so, you know, I joined the Marines, tried to get away everything for a while, everything and everyone. And, you know, a lot of people say that... Uh, the food in boot camp does something to your brain or they put some chemicals in that shit and you know you you all you can think about is training 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 they're trying to make like machines out of you right or robots or whatever um but something happened where i couldn't remember any music man like i couldn't remember lyrics i couldn't remember a fucking thing and and, and it was crazy for me somebody who had like you know 500 cds uh music was my entire life uh, especially when I was 18 
and I couldn't remember a single song. Um, and I remember having this problem in boot camp, and I remember one night I was on what we would call Firewatch. So basically, Firewatch is uh, you're like a like a guard, like a security guard, and anything that happens, you know, in the middle of the night, you, you gotta you're gonna be there. Like whether you gotta shoot somebody or whether you gotta sound the alarm, you, you know, anything that goes on, you have to report it. And I remember being outside in Paris Island, South Carolina, and I'm by this fucking swamp. And then we were on an island, so the swamp was really the only way off the island. And it's infested with alligators and shit. And I remember walking around and trying to just remember one song. And Creep was the only thing that came to mind. And I just started singing the lyrics to myself, you know, the forward yesterday that whole thing and uh by the by the end of the song i i sang the whole fucking thing and i for whatever reason i guess just the emotional attachment that i had to the track it was the only song i could remember from beginning to end um and it just that had such an impact on me that memory and you know when i got out of boot camp and everything, you know, all the other music came back to my life, but uh, I'll never forget that when I was, you know, basically completely alone and void of any music in my life, like, that creep was there for me, so that's my, that's my creep story, <laughs> and I, I still sing it to myself all the time, it just comes naturally. It's therapeutic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, ironically... The word heal is mentioned many times throughout that song, and it definitely healed you when you needed that sort of healing, mental kind of rejuvenation most. Yeah. That's that's incredible. I, that's really powerful. It is one of those songs that even, like at the time, I would say up until that point, you know, songs like creep or poly or even lake of fire from like nirvana unplugged even though that's a cover but around that like when i was like 13 you know hearing songs that just broke down like where the vocalist just like intuitively broke down and really tapped into the rawest most vulnerable aspects of their personality and their emotions that was definitely a learning lesson the first time i heard this track like when creep ends i do feel like it's someone who woke up and was able to like forge ahead and they overcame like the darkest time of their life and that was something i just i could put myself in scott's shoes and his story paralleled mine to a certain extent you know at least when i first heard it that's how i took it you know And that's what it's there for, and you know it'll always be there. And that's it's like a gift. It's definitely a gift. It's like a piece of pie, huh? <laughs> <laughs> nice transition. Yeah, I, I, you know me, man. <laughs> well, piece of pie, man. Like sometimes I feel like this song gets overlooked because of its like place in the track listing in between creep and flush, which a lot of songs for different bands and different records, you know some might think of a song in between two huge hits as filler this is definitely not filler piece of pie i'm pretty sure they played that with jeff and that was one of the songs that like blew me away was how good jeff their new vocalist sounded on that song 
But Scott, the chorus again, the chorus, the chorus, the chorus, man. It's stare me down. Like, yeah. yeah, that's exactly the line I was just about to say. <laughs> wow. There, there's no weak track on this album, and this song proves it. You know, because it it is in the middle of two classics, and there there's no way to uh, uh, it can't be overstated that you know this is if you were gonna put a weak song on a record, this is where it would go. But this piece of pie doesn't fit <laughs> because it's it's fucking stellar. It's awesome, and um, I I love the. Uh, I, I love the the vocal uh, delivery of, of this track, and uh, um, you know it's it just kind of keeps the same energy, which is amazing by this point in in an album, um, and it, it, it keeps the pace and it, it you know it doesn't let up and it's it's not a B song, it's not it's not a weak track at all. It's just kind of amazing. It complements and sets the tone and mood for Plush, you know, it's like the perfect build up, which. I mean, I said in the beginning that, like, Dead and Bloated, in my opinion, is the just definitive Stone Temple Pilots song, but how, like, Plush is, if you think of Stone Temple Pilots, you think of Plush. Yeah, it's inseparable. Um, obviously, uh, there are many radio disc jockeys that are thankful that Plush was written. Uh, yeah. Um... You know, so they knew what the hell to play on a on a on a rock station, uh, because arguably, what the hell was there to play? Um, I mean, it, Plush was rock radio in the '90s. Uh, it's it it can't be overstated. I mean, the song's probably been played, you know, more. Uh, fuck, who knows, man? I mean, it's just uh, I don't know. It, it, Obviously, it's encore, but it honestly, um, thematically, it kind of could have gone on any record. It's just, it's just a huge, huge track that can't really be fucked with. Mm -hmm. um, it it fits on the record that it's on, but you know, it's it's just such a big song. It's you know, it's it's their uh, probably their magnum opus. You know, it's, it's fucking huge. What was the first song you heard from Core? Plush was the first song I heard that really captured my attention and drew me in. Oh, okay. Um, I actually, I think it was Wicked Garden, actually, was the first track that I heard. And it was, um, it was on K-Rock, 92.3 K-Rock. Cool. Um, shout out to whatever the hell happened to K-Rock. And, and, and um, that you know, it was definitely Wicked Garden, yeah. But um, which was surprising, you know. But uh, those, this track just—I mean, it'll it'll just live on in forever. It's hard to even get into the specifics of uh, Plush just because of how many times we've heard it. You know, it just—it stands on its own, stands the test of time. The whole record stands the test of time. Again, the pre-chorus, you know, just hearing Scott just bark and yell, and I feel it, I felt it. The emotion he, he was trying to convey, the tone he was trying to create, I mean, I would say, in terms of pure vocal delivery, that has to be his best, you know? And it, it's hard, as the kind of music listener you were, like, we both are, 
I don't care if that, like, long story short, if I'm going to make a Metallica comparison, I'll never not love Enter Sandman. I'll never not deny how great that song is. And it's the same thing with Flush that deserves to be put on a pedestal that, like, very few songs, like, achieve. You know, it's like that twangy, the bends and the guitar riffs, you know, that burn out, down out, down out, burn out. It grooves, it soothes, it hits. For sure. It's, it occupies so much radio space at that time. It's, you know, you couldn't go five seconds without hearing that. Uh, or an Allison Chains track. Um, <laughs> it was just inseparable from that era in my life. It's just, um, you know, it wouldn't be the 90s without, without Plush. And then, you know, not to skip What My Bed, but to go into like Cracker Man talk about a band that played live and recorded the album live and the beauty of analog core you know I would say the early 90s are kind of the the last era of analog and bands playing live you know pre-pro tools and all that pre-logic and you know plush or like Cracker Man Cracker Man's one of the songs where you just feel like the band the synergy of just how like tight they were analog it's cool like cracker man to me like i almost make a comparison to spoon man <laughs> yeah um because i i always found the songs to be kind of similar um probably just because they have man in the title but uh same kind of vibe same kind of era um but cracker man is like uh the the sometimes wyland's vocals are very conversational um, even even if the sentences don't necessarily make sense in, in terms of you know what you can gain from a sentence, but because they're lyrics and and I always loved like the kind of like the double entendres and like the like the question marks kind of with with Scott's lyrics and Cracker Man has a lot of those sentences that kind of seem to go nowhere um, or just don't make logical sense and I again I think that that just reiterates the theme of uh, confusion throughout the record but what a uh what a fun fun track and just that like roman roman rome gonna get away gotta get away away. yeah like that's so i don't know that that kind of attitude speaks to my my life i've been somebody who's like moved to different situations without hesitation you know i've taken risks and like you know, that kind of a song instilled that kind of fearlessness in, in me to not be afraid to try something new or to, you know, get away to roam to see, you know, what else is out there. Wherever you may roam. Wherever I may roam. And, you know, the one thing about this track, too, is that, like, I did see Velvet Revolver on the Contraband run. Nice. You know, that's a whole different conversation for Contraband. I saw them and I saw a Hoobastank on the same package. I'll have to tell this story at a different time, but, like, long story short, talk about, like, the awkward pairing. Hoobastank. Hoobastank was a 2000s band that had some great songs, and then they sold out. They put out The Reason, and, you know, the only way to say it is that, like, they became a band that, like, your mom, like, moms liked, you know? Yeah. And come on, like, especially if you're a teenager. Not not in a good way. Not in a good way. Like, if your mom (laughs) likes that song, that's not cool, man. You know, they're not crawling in the dark. They found the reason. But anyway, it goes to show the popularity and the significance of Guns N' Roses. But at that show, I would say 
80% of the crowd was Guns N' Roses fans, and then 25% were, you know, STP fans. And when Velvet Revolver played Cracker Man, that was like one of the highlights of the night. You know, I, I wanted to hear more Guns N' Roses, and they played more Guns N' Roses, but when they did play the STP songs, like Sex Type Thing and Cracker Man, just to hear Slash play that like Slash's guitar tone with Dean DeLeo's riffs was definitely a unique, cool thing to witness firsthand. Oh, that must have been great. That was killer. And Scott was sober and clean, and, you know, he just killed it on that track. He had the, uh, the, not, what's the, what's the horn, you call it? He, uh, he spoke into the, uh, is it the loudspeaker? The the megaphone thing? The megaphone. Yeah, he had the megaphone. So, like, you know, during the, gotta get away, gotta get away. Like, he sang, like, he put the microphone Uh, up to the megaphone, and. Oh, that's cool. That was so sick, you know? Yeah, to get that, good to get that tone. And so, like, pretty much close up core in general, where the river goes, kind of brings it back to where where Dead and Bloated started. It's a longer track, you know. It's the longest track on the record, and it's a dynamic, borderline progressive track. It's like if Rush met Soundgarden, and you combine that, <laughs> like Twenty One Twelve wow. meets Bad Motorfinger. That's kind of where I go when I hear where the river goes. That's an amazing comparison. I, I agree. Um, the the song, the track, always like put me in a, in a mood that made me want to start around again, like start back at one. Um, kind of like you're you're saying it with Dead and Bloated. Like it it just it has this sleepy quality to it. It is definitely like a journey, but probably like a journey through hell, like to the river sticks. <laughs> um, but the 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 storytelling aspects of that track, um, like do a, a couple things. Like they solidify its stature in terms of uh, you know one of the greatest rock records, but it also makes you want to hit that play button again to kind of you know maybe like when you when when that song ends like you're like maybe there was something i missed maybe there was something i was supposed to to get and uh that makes you want to go back around again so it's it's a loop and core core is a loop because to me i mean not to play on words too much but you're always trying to find the core of core (laughs) like what's the center of it what what does it look like what does it feel like and what's the message and like I said I, I think the theme is confusion but I think that that's the point of the record um, to lead you around in circles uh, because that's probably what life is like you know that's, that's a great point Core I've gone back and listened to it front to back multiple times it's cyclical it just goes around and around and uh, you have to dive for, for meaning and, and, and you'll find a lot in there there's a lot to be found. I mean, me and Anthony just touched the surface of what's on this record, guys. So, I mean, if, if you've never heard of Core, if you've never heard of Stone Double Pilots, now is the time to start. It could be, you know, what was what was his 2003 and what was mine 1998. Just dig in, dive in, and you, you won't have any regrets, trust me. You know, like, I've read... So many different like Stone Temple Pilots interviews, like with Dean and with Rob and with Scott and even Eric over the years. And you know, the one thing that's sort of upsetting yet one of the 
notable aspects of core is that like everyone in the band was on the same page there wasn't so much internal drama the drugs hadn't kicked in yet it was a clear-minded band hitting their stride and i've seen dean look back at like so top of pilots's catalog with regret sometimes because you know the band with purple and moving forward not to get into like scott's personal business but like getting arrested going to rehab you know, things would never really be the same. So you still had like four guys from California all in their early 20s recording music that would go on to, you know, to find a generation. And it's really the one record where there wasn't like a black cloud hanging over their head. It was, if anything, like the sun shined pretty bright. And, you know, they gave us music. We're talking about an album that came out 25 years ago. So, you know, I mean, I will say, I think Purple is as good as core and i think tiny music in its own way is as good as core and number four is phenomenal like their first yeah. four records are like top to bottom classics but i've always been a little upset for dean like i felt for dean when he's like looked back and said something to that effect where it's like core was the one time where the outside drama didn't interfere with the songwriting but they have every reason to be proud of this record and then the four records at least their first four records they have every reason to like they should be up there with Pearl Jam, up there with Nirvana and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains. For sure. They they belong in the same space and they they did the work uh, to be in that space regardless of Scott's addictions and health issues and personal shit. Um, I think that this podcast, you know, doesn't look at people's failures uh, or, or doesn't, you know, is not here to judge uh, somebody's own uh, path that they took. I think that this podcast embraces the messages that they left behind, whether you know whether they're whether they're still with us or not. And I think in this case, obviously, Scott is is, is gone. But um, I would rather analyze the the messages within the music, the the positive uh, the positive direction that he brought to my life, to your life, to to other fans' life. And, um, you know, I, I feel bad, uh, for them too, that they, you know, didn't necessarily pan out the way that they wanted to, but if it wasn't memorable, you and me wouldn't be talking about it. <laughs> you know, the weird thing is too, like today's December 4th, it's actually been like two years exactly since Scott passed away. Wow. And I didn't want to mention that like right at the beginning of the show, just because, you know, it's a somber subject to like touch upon but if i look back at stone temple pilots i look back at scott again i said this during the plush discussion like i felt confident going from my like my beginning stages as a guitarist into like a more experienced guitarist like learning plush was such a crucial moment in my life and my development as an artist my development as a as a music listener and you know scott definitely could be controversial at times but you mentioned like this podcast is not about you know condemning flaws it's about embracing innocence and yeah you know he turned blissful pain into like heartfelt poetry he helped a lot of people overcome their insecurities their bouts with depression their anxieties by self-examining his own yeah and my bad go ahead uh, he, I was going to say, he made his metal poetic. 
I mean, he defines kind of like that term poetic metal. And the one thing with like Jeff taking over and whatnot, it's not placing any expectations on him. Where just what made Scott so like special as a vocalist too was his sense of rhythm and like his way to like enunciate and pronunciate and to like oh yeah the grooves the that yeah the phrasings he came up with over like rob and dean and eric's like rhythms and riffs and melodies you know it was very like it was like two trains colliding at the same time but instead of collision there was like prosperity right right i mean i don't think people realize uh what goes into songwriting and song making and um you know, uh, if you don't have a rhythm, you're basically just scatting your your vocals. Um, but Wyland had a, a unique ability to kind of find rhythm where where nobody else would think to insert it with, within his uh, phrasing, his vocal delivery, which is is a gift that is just is lost. I mean, it, you know, if the if the bass drum's not telling people where to go nowadays, they don't know what to sing and they don't know how to sing. Um, but you know, when all you've got is drums, bass, and guitar to work off of, um, you, that's, that's a, that's a genius in its own, not just songwriting, not just lyricism, but delivery, you know, and that gets overshadowed in, in today's market. Yeah, man, it's, it's, uh, it, it still breaks my heart that he's no longer with us, but you know, well, we could we could have that story about many uh, within the last couple of years, you know that same story. Um, but yeah, it, it breaks my heart too. Um, it's you know it's something so meaningful to my life, to your life, which was core, is core, will always be core. Um, I guess it it just life is a, a precious thing but it certainly makes me appreciate the music more um and i was always one to pay attention if i wasn't somebody that paid attention to music you wouldn't want me on this channel but but um i think it you know now uh, we were talking about maybe like a, a resurgence of of rock a resurgence of grunge uh you know i could i could foresee it happening with with the, the recent events and people need to listen up and say what's going on you know somebody's speaking somebody's saying something worth listening to so let's fucking listen let's you know forget about itunes for two seconds forget about reality tv and just go out buy an album sit in your room alone listen to it front to back look at the cover art look at the inner sleeve read the lyrics and tell me how it hits you tell me what it says say anything say something other than the repetitive nonsense that's out there and if you know just do it just so for the fact that these people didn't die in vain and that their words mattered you know we're talking about literal legends here let's let's actually pay attention to what they were all about you know one thing too about death it makes you re-examine what you thought of someone's catalog or contributions to the world and one story that comes to mind is Billy Corgan. He was somebody, like, I've read a couple of different stories, but, like, when Stone Temple Pilots started to, you know, blossom and turn into the most popular band on rock radio, he was, you know, he had a few quotes that were pretty, like, critical of yeah. STP and whatnot, but then when, like, Tiny Music came out, 
it was like one of his favorite records of that decade and like he admired like the gorgeous pop melodies and like the Beatles influence and that Sgt. Pepper kind of like you know guitar tones and like psychedelic elements of that record and just made him not only look back differently and this was in the 90s like he went up and like apologized to Scott and I remember when Scott passed away he wrote a pretty like touching tribute on how like how when it comes to scenes when it comes to you know, movements and whatnot, posers and who's real and who's fake. You know what? If STP was a copycat band, we wouldn't be talking about core all these years later, you know? Think about like oh, yeah. think about how many bands like fell off within the last fifteen to twenty years that try to like duplicate the grunge scene. And if STP was one of those bands, then they wouldn't be, you know, reflected back on with such, you know, reverence and respect. So they they were authentic, they were the real deal, and and they really like formulated and succeeded with their own brand of music. That was strictly and only STP. And if you like what you have heard, you could check us out at soundcloud.com slash poetic metal. And finally, on iTunes at Poetic Metal. Check us out on iTunes, subscribe, leave a positive review. That would be so kind. We would much appreciate it. And Facebook.com slash Poetic Metal and both Instagram and Twitter at Poetic underscore Metal. Also, off topic, but I recently interviewed, photographed, and covered Greta Van Fleet at the Bowery Ballroom. I wrote up a live review about the show and I have an interview coming with Sam Kriska, the bass player, sometime this week. And just check that out. Check out my live review. It's going to be in the link underneath. And otherwise, till next time, keep it poetic and keep it metal. Peace.